You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition, Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. We got a good one today. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a guy out of southeast Minnesota. His name is Kyle Dulek, and Kyle had a three-deer season. I don't even know what I would personally do if I shot three bucks in one year. Um, it's almost like uh, too far of a fetch. It's like a daydream or, or, or a dream. Uh, it's not even reality for me for some reason. I just I, I guess I don't think that way, but Kyle had one hell of a year, man. He shot three really good deer, two really, really good deer, and one, now I don't know what you call uh a big deer, whether it's a, a magnum or a hammer or a giant or a slob or, you know, this buck kind of had all of it. You know, he had junk, he had a flyer, he had drops, he had it's just a beautiful animal, a beautiful like what dreams are made of type buck. And um, we get into all those stories. It's, it's kind of a really quick, really fast in your face episode with we cover all three stories of uh, his, I guess, his Minnesota season, man. And it's a it's a really good episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, 
God, I think I've said this on just about every, uh, I know I mentioned it in the Iowa Sportsman podcast. I know I mentioned it in the uh, Hunting Gear podcast, but man, Iowa is getting absolutely slammed with snow. And uh, I'm to the point now where I think I'm going to just go on to the closest farm that I can hunt and start dropping corn down or something. Like we're talking about 14 inches of snow that's on the ground. It's, um, I went out to go take a trail camera down the other day. And uh, I mean, there's deer on the property. It looks like, but they're not moving very far. I, I did see some beds, but they weren't bedding in this bedding area um, since the last snow last week, Wednesday. Uh, so I hope this winter doesn't catch up to these deer, man. I, I hope, I'm hoping, here's what I'm hoping, that this derecho that we had in August, this big windstorm came through Iowa, did knock down a lot of crops. I'm hoping that that crop damage eventually leads to the deer making it through the winter because of all that grain waste on the ground um so hopefully they didn't all eat, eat it all up uh in the in the fall before the you know before all the snow hit the ground so um yeah anyway that's what we're that's what we're talking about today uh, that's what i'm dealing with today uh this episode is uh it's a really good episode a lot of uh insight into like how someone does it right he talks about the, the lay of the land how he accesses his, his tree stands um i don't know just a, a really good story but before we get into today's episode we are going to do a quick commercial we're talking about ozonics and lone wolf right and it's almost when you think about it these two products kind of go hand in hand in in the way that i approach hunting right i'm I'm very mobile um i'm a huge fan of o3 so when uh after let's just let's just say it's after a hunt i throw all my clothes into the ozonics dry wash bag i run a dry wash cycle it cleanses my clothes and then before i go out on that morning hunt or that next uh evening hunt i i feel scent free right the ozone has done its job and killed the bacteria uh, that's on my clothes and uh, reduces the scent Uh, lone wolf on the other hand allows me to you know do this run and gun mobile style setup where i am being very aggressive in my winds in my wind setup i'm using the terrain to dig you know find where the deer are are moving and once i get into these really tight spots uh, on these uh, aggressive winds that kind of work up let's just say work up against where the deer are coming i'm hoping the deer are coming to me and uh the the wind is just cutting where they're moving and hopefully i get a shot and the the lone wolf really allows me to get into these tight spots in any tree not just a straight tree but any tree and allows me to get up into the uh uh, get up into the tree and get up in there quietly and it's you know it's a very quiet piece of equipment it's american made all these good things right so um two two products that I just absolutely love and the way my style works, it's almost like they're two different appendages, man. And then when I'm in the tree, obviously I'm running the ozone and hope, you know, so it's cutting that wind. So if the deer kind of work too far in, they won't get a full big, 
you know, nostril full of human scent. They get that ozone, that deteriorated uh, human scent, and they, they just don't know what it is, right? It doesn't necessarily spook them out of the country, um, or they don't blow if it, in case of it's some does. But uh, um, I'm gonna, I would highly recommend going and checking out those two products. Obviously, Lone Wolf, uh, you can enter the discount code uh, 9FC50, and you're going to get uh, $50 off all purchases over $200 and that's uh, so that's roughly 20% off if you look at it that way or you can let me make double let me double check that here yep 9fc50 and that gets you 5% no excuse me Jesus I haven't even been drinking tonight I, I promise the lone wolf discount code is 9fc50 and that's $50 off of all orders over $200, right? And then the Ozonics, when you order a unit, you get a free dry wash bag with that purchase. And that discount code is NFC19. So please go out and check out those two companies, man. Uh, they're doing great things. And uh, I like using those products. Anyway, enough talking. Let's get into today's uh, uh, success Hunter success season, season success, hunter profile, mix, whatever uh, episode with Kyle Dulek. Three, two, one. Mr. Kyle Dulek, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Well, from the looks of the pictures that you sent me, you should be doing better than that. (laughs) (laughs) You should be doing really, really good. Yeah, I certainly am. No doubt about it. I'm still on cloud nine. That's awesome, man. And uh, we're going to talk about this dream season that you had uh, in 2020. And um, I guess the first thing is, let's just, uh, you know, do what we always do. Why don't uh, you tell me where you're from and what do you do for a living? Sure, sure. I live in southeast Minnesota. It's uh, Winona County, kind of right by the Mississippi River. They call it uh, kind of bluff country around here, a lot of hills and bluffs. And I actually uh, worked for a car dealer. It's a place called Dahl Automotive in La Crosse. It's across the river in Wisconsin and uh, worked there 22 years. I grew up there, started as a guy washing cars, 16 years old and never left. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I, my family, uh, it would be my my wife's parents had a cabin in Harper's Ferry, Iowa, Northeast, up in that corner of the state for uh, several years. They sold it, and now they have a trailer up in um, Lansing, which is really close to, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it's not really close to La Crosse, but, um, right, you know, close to Prairie du Chien and whatnot. But in that, in that area, do you ever get out on the Mississippi River and do some fishing? Yeah, you bet. I live like blocks from the river and uh, my dad fished bass fisherman hardcore for my whole life. He actually fished the Bassmasters Classic when I was a kid. I was one of my earliest members of fishing and actually I had relatives in Harper's Ferry too, some great uncles. They play a lot of cards down there. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. Awesome right on the river down there. Yeah. So, um I bet if I had to guess if he if he fished in the uh, the Bassmaster Classic up in in those pools on the Mississippi River, he also did some of the local tournaments as well. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I actually made more fishing the local Tuesday Thursday night tournaments, and I did work five days a week at the card. <laughs> I had to pay for the gas, and you know it was pretty awesome. My buddies still joke about 
him just using those to find fish and we'd catch a couple and pack up and we got to go and yep. he knew they were there and he wouldn't let us catch them it was pretty funny yeah we still joke around that yeah i i, I bet you a hundred dollars that uh my father-in-law and your uh your father probably fished in some of the same uh tournaments Oh, yeah, I'm sure. If it was in the lacrosse area, he was fishing it. He was a member of a team bass way back in the day. And yeah. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I did a lot of fishing with him. Cool, cool. Um, I don't know. And just that area, right, that western uh, western Wisconsin, northeast Iowa, southeast uh, Minnesota, man, I don't know what it is about that part of the state cruising up and down the Mississippi River, you know, the roads, uh, just the, the – the uh, communities that are in there. I just love that part of the state. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, doing what I do for a living, sometimes I take it for granted because I grew up my whole life here. And I talk to so many people that leave and move out of the area and come back and just say how much they missed it. It's, it's incredible area for sure. Yeah. And from the deer hunting side of things, right? I mean, Alamakee County, which is the furthest northeast county in the state of Iowa, holds the record for most Boone and Crockett's shot out of a certain county. Okay, so the biggest deer from Iowa, everybody thinks it's the southern part, but there's one county, northeast Iowa, that holds the record for most, uh, you know, most, I guess, Boone and Crockett bucks entered. Now you can throw an asterisk on there if you want to and, and break it all down. But just based off that one record alone, um, there's a lot of big deer in that area. And I, I feel like terrain has a lot to do with it being in that Mississippi River Valley. Leading up to where where you hunt, I, I assume. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it just something in the dirt, the food, the the cover, and they're, they're not easy to hunt where we're at. I mean, it's a lot of hills, valleys, bluffs, and, but yeah, it's definitely known this little part of the country. There's big deer around here, and, you know, it's just, it's incredible. We take it for granted, but yeah, it's not often that you see huge deer shot every year, but yeah, it's, there's got to be good genes and good food, good cover. It's a combination of things for sure. Yeah. And I think for, for that, you know, and I can only speak to my experience in that Northeast uh, part of Iowa, but that terrain saves them, right? We don't have a rifle season in Iowa. We have a shotgun season. We have a bow season. Uh, we, they, they're able to get down in this big terrain, these big drainages, the steep, it's much steeper than anywhere else in the state. And not a lot of people are willing to get back there and go look for them and go get them. And hence why they, they get big up, uh, up in that part of the state. You know, that's just, that's my two cents. But, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about when you, um, like were a kid, right. And was, hunting a a big thing for your family i mean did you come from a quote-unquote hunting family yeah yeah absolutely even as far back as i can remember i was always waiting until i got my firearm safety and could buy a deer license and hunt with my dad and you know we came from a a big group of hunters all the whole family that's what we did you know we it was one week of the season and everybody got together and you know, at one point in time, we had a big group. You know, I was real young at the time, but there was probably 20, 30 family members. We'd have an old family farm, and we'd get together, and we'd hunt deer and clean them, process them. we make our own stuff. But, yeah, it was, ever since I can remember, we are deer hunters, and I still I look forward to it every year. I haven't missed a season since I could hunt 
since I was 12. It's It's been in my grandpa, my uncle, my dad, and all the high school, grade school kids I grew up on. It's it's a ritual around here for sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess with that said, I mean, growing up in, in this traditional hunting family, was there any focus on age or antler size back then? Or was it just, hey, if there's a deer, you shoot it? Yeah, not as much as it is now, but it was more of feeding the family and eating them. And there was, back when I was a kid, I remember horns. I mean, very few people mounted the deer. I mean, there was big deer shot. My grandpa shot some huge ones and he kept the horns and never even mounted them. It wasn't, it wasn't about shooting big ones. It was, it was about hunting food and, you know, it was totally different back then. It's, it's changed quite a bit now, but yeah, that wasn't the big focus when I was a kid. Yeah. So do you still have those big family gatherings? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different group. Uh, you know, as everybody got older, a couple people moved away. Some of the land got split up and, you know, uh, my side of the family kind of went and did their own thing for a while, you know, so it went from a group of 20 to a group of like five. And you know, I got an older brother, my dad, my uncle, my grandpa's, and then also my cousins got old enough, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot smaller group. And, now it's a lot of my friends, my neighbors, and, you know, people from school I grew up with. And, you know, we have a pretty big group. We don't, you know, we do some deer drives like muzzleloader and at the end of the season. But, yeah, we get together during the season. And, you know, our core group of hunters, there's probably 15, 20 of us that, you know, we get together and just talk deer hunting. And then we'll do like a weekend drives. But it's, it's it reminds me of the old days, you know, how we do it. There's not a lot of big groups left hunting this area because there's not a lot of land to hunt it's all little 40s here or there and it's getting tough to get together and hunt with that many people yeah when i when i used to do shotgun hunting in iowa whew, man i want to say like 15 years ago 10 years ago between 10 and 15 years ago man there were still really big tracts of land and you know each group had their their big tracts of lands or even multiple tracts of lands that you know they could they were, they could go push, right? They do their deer drives and whatnot. And over the years, I feel like in the areas that I hunt, yes, there's still that tradition of um, going and doing deer drives, but it's just not the coverage that there used to be with, you know, like, like you said, man, property gets split up between four kids, you know, two of the kids want to sell the other two kids keep it. So you got half that and then that gets halved again. And the next thing you know, it's just like you have, you either have to have permission from about 50 people as opposed to two. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We still get together as a group before the season and, you know, just have a good time. And, yeah. but during the, you know, the beginning of the season, everybody kind of goes their separate ways and sits and, you know, we'll still get together every night or during the weekends. But, uh, yeah, we don't hunt as a group until usually the last weekend. And actually, muzzleloader is one of our funnest seasons where we get a little more permission. And, you know, obviously it's one shot. And we push a little more woods in the muzzleloader season. But it's still a, a group thing, but it's it's different than it was when we were young, for sure. Right, right. So let me ask you this. Um, when did hunting go from fun family tradition and and maybe it hasn't for you maybe you're still kind of a a weekend warrior or you do it ever so often i mean was there was there a point where it just consumed you and you got crazy about it oh yeah i mean that was years ago um you know it's one of those things where 
you know, I use vacation. I, it's as long as I can remember, it's kind of, it's, it's a fun thing for me because I work in Wisconsin and, you know, we got a pretty big dealership and everybody kind of jockeys to get their deer hunting off. And there's only a few of us from Minnesota, so I don't have to fight with all the coworkers to take time off. So I've been taking two weeks off during the hunting season for, it must be 10 years, 15 years. So, you know, in them two weeks I hunt every day and, you know, it's been pretty awesome. And, you know, like I said, it's something we talk about year round and, we put in a lot of time, but, you know, eventually anytime there's a get together, birthday, a party, it, it leads to deer hunting somehow, some way. Yeah. So what about like, when did, when does bow hunting come into play? When did you start, when, when did you move from these family gatherings where, where you did the, the gun season to start picking up a bow and getting serious about that? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Um, you know, just it's more opportunity to hunt around here. and You have such a longer season and, you know, the weather's nicer. It was probably seven, eight years ago I got my first bow. I bought it from a co-worker, an old Matthew Switchback. I still have the bow to this day. I love that bow. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to, you know, actually shoot a deer with it. And, you know, I still haven't shot a ton of deer with my bow. Um, actually, I've never shot a buck with my bow. I've shot a few doe. You know, the last couple of years, I think I've shot one or two doe a year or something with my bow. Um, but yeah, that's, and it, it's a lot natural, you know, and that definitely changed how I hunt deer and just, you know, you know, it's a more natural setting versus pushing them in the early season, the green. And, and, and that definitely got me more into hunting for sure. Okay. So when it comes to bow hunting, you mentioned you, you haven't, you haven't shot a buck with your bow yet, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So is this something that you're choosing, like you're only waiting for a big buck or have you not figured bow hunting out yet? Why, why haven't you been successful in shooting a buck with your bow? Um, I, I've seen some nice ones. I'm just selective. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the, you know, it's one of those things where you, you know, you see, I see plenty of deer. I see a ton of deer bow hunting. Um, and you just haven't seen the right one. You know, I haven't, you know, missed one yet or anything like that. And, you know, if I have plenty of deer to, to get them in the right range. And, you know, I definitely, you know, I think I'm learning every season and getting better. And I, I think it'll happen sooner than later. But, you know, I've passed a lot of respectable bucks up just to, you know, because I know there's bigger ones around. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked earlier in this episode about this dream season that that you had with you shot, what, three giants? three big yeah, old mature yeah. deer and what with what weapons were those with um one or two of them were with the shotgun and the last one uh, was with the muzzle loader okay all right so two gun two gun hunts and or two shotgun bucks and and one muzzle loader buck um so what what was the order here was it muzzle loader shotgun shotgun or was it shotgun shotgun muzzle loader uh, i was shotgun shotgun muzzle loader okay all right. So let's talk about, let's talk about how you hunt. Um, are you a, like a trail camera guy all summer long, figuring out the deer, knowing what deer are on the properties that you hunt, like really keeping tabs on them? Or are you more along the lines of the guy who just goes out and hunts when he has time to go do it? No, no. I spend a lot of time, you know, even it starts in February, March shed hunting and learning the trails and looking at the terrain. And, you know, I learned so much in spring, you know, and doing a lot of frost seeding food plots, uh, moving tree stands. And, you know, it's an all year thing for sure. 
you know, and I run quite a few trail cameras too. You know, I used to run, you know, almost too many and I felt like it kind of hurt me a little bit just checking them every two, three weeks. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I bumped some deer checking those, you know, and I, now I, I actually won a, a cell camera this year and I've been, you know, I'm going to start using those a lot more. I had really good luck with that this year. Um, but yeah, I definitely have trail cameras and it's interesting to watch them in velvet and just pattern them and see what they are. And I have a pretty good tabs on, you know, some of the nicer ones in the area. Um, just definitely looking at sign and just hunting as much as I do, but trail cameras, it's, it's a blast just, you know, as they're in velvet and then the velvet sheds and what they're doing for sure. Yeah. So when it comes to, uh, you know, running trail cameras, it sounds like you, you uh, have the ability. Now, do you own the property or or do you lease it or do you have permission on it? Yeah, I've got a few. I think it really helped this year. Um, about three years ago, I've lived in the same little town my whole life. I've hunted a, a private property there since I was 12. My grandpa hunted it. My dad hunted it. My uncle hunted it. So I got a little private property that I don't own that I hunt on. Um, about three years ago, I moved just maybe a half mile down the road where I lived, and I, I bought a property. It was kind of a dream of mine. I ended up buying a house with 44 acres on it literally woods right in my backyard i can walk out and actually get to a tree stand within minutes and really fortunate it it's it's not an easy property to hunt because it's a straight up and down hill with a big point and so i've had that and you know another dream of mine was to own you know a little more acreage with some top access so i was fortunate this year literally the beginning of the season i ended up buying a 109 acres of another property that's just down the road from me so I've got three different property that I hunt and focus on. And, you know, that's where these deer came from for sure. And I think it's definitely helped. And one of the reasons I was able to get three really nice deer is I, I had options. I wasn't burning out the same stands and hunting it over and over. I, I definitely paid a lot more attention to the wind and the weather and what was going on. And I didn't hunt multiple stands multiple days in a row. I, I switched it up quite a bit. So I think that really helped. Yeah. So with, you know, between the property that you have access to and the, into the different properties, um, that you own, how do you break down your, I guess, habitat management or your, your food plot strategy, uh, to know what you're going to plot, what works the best, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, spent more time on my own land. Uh, you you know, I'd put some time in a private land and you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen there. So I spent more time on my own land. Um, actually two of the big deer came from the little 44 acres behind my house. Those are the first two I shot. Um, and it, it's difficult to make food plots cause it's, you know, I got, you know, just a couple flats that get sunlight. Um, and I frost seed them every year and I started them, you know, right when I moved here and they're actually getting really good now, but I, I focus more on the land I own just to put more time in that, you know, cause your time is limited and you know, you the last thing I want to do is spend a lot of time on a property and, you know, all of a sudden not get permission to hunt that anymore. Yeah. Yep. So are you planting clover, corn? Like how many acres of uh, food plots do you plant within a year? No, they're smaller, uh, you know, kind of micro plots is what I call them. I mean, they're probably quarter acre plots, nothing huge. It's, it's, I don't have a, access to a lot of, you know, you know, tillable ground. Um, they're in the woods, they're off logging trails. Um, you know, the new property, I'm going to spend a little more time on that next year where I got some tillable ground. It, it probably totals about five acres where I'm going to, I'm actually planning on doing, you know, uh, like kind of a soybean 
Um, definitely some turnip type of thing, some late season food for muzzleloader, but mostly it's clover that I've been successful with at where I, the last couple of years here, it's easy to frosty clover. That's why I, I like clover. Yeah. So with, uh, are, are you planting these, these food plots? Um, it almost sounds like you're planting these little kill plots, not necessarily like, yeah. um, do you, do you, what kind of strategy do you put into where these uh, food plots are located? I mean, can you hunt them on any wind? Can you hunt them on only specific winds? Yeah, there's definitely specific winds. Um, it's basically a, a real steep hillside, and then I got a ridge top. Um, and, and, and around here, it's it, it had to be a south wind for it to work behind my house. A, a north wind blows right into them, and it's it's not very good at all. So. You know, and the other property is like on the other side of the valley, and it's the opposite one. So that's kind of I was bouncing back and forth. You know, definitely, you know, it, it, and I had to make do with what I had. I, you know, there was not a lot of openings and clearings. And, you know, the first one I did, you know, it was just like I said, a quarter acre. And I was able to get up there. I built the shed that year, too. And I had, uh, you know, a fellow with uh, some equipment uh, kind of dig me a little pond, and that really helped out, too. So I got a little bit, a bit of food. Um, some water and you know there's definitely big cover around it and I spent a lot of time hunting hard edges that's that's where I was successful where it wasn't you know just wide open it was where the terrain changed from really thick to where it kind of opened up a little bit and I had a lot of success there this year that was that was key okay so uh shotgun shotgun muzzleloader were were your your deer this year um what did you see in during your bow season? Did you have encounters with any of these deer during the bow season before the gun season? I had a, a lot of pitches. The one I was, you know, that was kind of a, a how it worked out. Uh, the first one that I shot um, it was opening morning during the Minnesota gun season, Saturday morning. And that one came from a long ways away. A couple of neighbors had been seeing it for a lot of years. It wasn't spent a lot of time on my property. I might have had going back to my pictures is a picture here or there last year of it. It wasn't one that was on my radar. The one that I thought was on my radar that I've been after for the last three years or the first picture I got when I moved to this new property on the house was a really nice 10 pointer. He wasn't really massive, but real long tines. And, you know, he, I thought he was about three and a half when I first seen him. And every year he just found a way to, to slip me and, Last year, I think we could have had him. My dad had seen him quite a bit and a couple other people, but he had busted off almost all of his tines, and he, he grew a real weird side to it. And, you know, we chose not to shoot him last year just to see if he would come back to what he was, and he did, and he looked really nice in the early season. That was my hit list deer. I, I thought it was the biggest one that was on the property for sure, and it actually was the smallest of the three that I shot this year. <laughs> and um, so you're talking about a, a mainframe 10? Yeah. Mainframe 10. Is that the one, uh, the picture where you're holding him on like a a slab of concrete? Yep. Okay. That's the one. That's the one. I, that deer doesn't look that old and you know, it's, it's a six and a half year old deer for sure. There's no doubt in my mind. Just, you know, I've got so many pictures of him the last three years and you know, it's, it's just a, I think he definitely, his body shrunk down. I think he was kind of on his downhill slide. Yeah. But yeah, that's an old deer right there. Crazy. Um, so you you knew of him. You had trail camera pictures of him uh, in the uh, uh, throughout you know several years. I mean, would you say that 
his core area was your property or was he yeah. on a different property yeah. and, and coming through? No, he was definitely on the my property, uh, really small. His core area was really strong. I had a lot of pictures of him all throughout the early season, velvet, you know, all the way through the season. Um, he was definitely living on my property. His core area was pretty small for sure. Yeah. He was running with another uh, buck. I got a lot of pictures of both of them. That was a really nice one, almost a twin to him. And the neighbor had shot him open in weekend uh, as so, yeah, it was uh, the, the two nice ones that I've seen behind my house. Both got shot. Okay. Um, so he ends up, uh, what, I mean, what was he doing? Walk, talk us through the, the terrain where he was living in, what he was doing. I mean, was he pushed to you uh, through other hunters, or was he making his way to one of your food plots? How, walk us through that night when you shot him, or that day when you shot him. Yeah, the, the day that I shot him, uh, I... You know, before the season, I had moved a lot of stands just to, you know, switch it up a little bit. Um, I won, I put a new ladder stand. You know, it was a hike. That's the one open in the morning. You know, I had only had that stand for a week. And there's an area that's got a huge rock point, And behind that point, it kind of turns. It's an end point is really what it is. And I actually don't go back there a whole lot. And they come from that area for whatever reason. It's a huge hill with just oh, probably four or five nasty draws, long ditches. It's tough terrain to go. And, you know, I've been meaning to move a stand right around the corner. And it was it was kind of comical how I shot that one. I actually shot it on the ground. Um, you know, I come out that morning, you know, pretty early. And, you know, I had a buddy staying with me. My brother was down hunting as well, too. Not a lot of them wanted to hunt that morning. It was like a Thursday morning the following the opening weekend. You know, and you know, I had one buddy that wanted to go hunt, so me and him hunted together. And, you know, I put him in the ladder stand that I was going to move, and, you know, I just decided I'm going to go around that corner and just find a spot on the ground. Um, I kind of knew that they, they just weren't going to cross those ditches, and, you know, I hadn't spent a lot of time over there, and so it wasn't violated a whole lot. But he was coming from that area, and I knew and I had a good sh- shot to see him because, you know, the wind wasn't very good for earlier in the season, and it was good for that day. And, I kind of thought I'm just going to find a spot, and uh, as soon as the, uh, my uh, buddy I was hunting with that day had, sat, had set, gotten a stand, I think the deer come down off a big rock point, and it was still black, and he couldn't have shot him. He said it was just a shadow, and it was grunting, and, and I think it worked around him while it was still dark out, and I'm kind of sitting on the ground, and it come like real low on the ditch, and it was still kind of where you couldn't shoot yet, not light out. And I seen a little shadow that I kind of moved to turn. I was sitting on against a huge tree, just facing up this big point. And it, it seen me move and I didn't know what it was. I just could make out a shadow. And, and I kind of thought to myself, yeah, that's why you don't sit on the ground. I was kind of a little upset just from sitting on the ground. that I didn't move a stand over there and it didn't really spook. It just kind of turned and walked away. And, and literally it must've, I don't know if it smelt the, my other buddy that was hunting like 20 minutes later, it came back. And it came up higher on the ditch, and I seen, you know, there's a little character on the end of it. There's a little kind of crab claw, and it was coming from my right to left above that ditch. And I knew right away which deer it was, and I was kind of thinking, this is after I already shot the first big one. And, you know, and it come around the ditch just perfect, and, you know, it was, you know, through the brush. And I kind of let a little bit, and I actually shot, and it ran right around the ditch and literally tipped over 10 yards in front of me, head on a log, and I'm just thinking – are you kidding me? You know, that was just, uh, that was the deer I was after all season. So that was the second one I shot. So wait a second. You shot them both in the same day? 
No, no, that was a Thursday. The first one, which would be the one that uh, kind of, I think it's the first picture I sent you where it was nice out. That was shot a Saturday opening day. This was shot the following Thursday. Okay, so the deer on that the deer on the concrete that you sent me the the perfect ten. He is yeah. he was the first one op- opening day. Nope, that's the second one. The second that one. Was the second one. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. So the yep. the first one is there. He's laying down on the grass, right? On the grass. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I I I messed up. I must have messed up in my line of questioning there because. Um, so the this big one that you shot first was opening day, right? Yeah, yeah, that was opening day Saturday morning, and that's the one where I literally, you know, I had this food plot up on the top of the ridge, and it's hard to get to because it's just a long walk. It, it takes a long ways to get up there, and, you know, I kind of committed because the wind was perfect for opening day. It was a south wind, and I just put that stand there a week ago just knowing it was such a good spot. You know, I just knew last year I never got to it. And, you know, so that opening morning, uh, me and my brother took a hike. I dropped him off on the bottom. And it, it was weird because in Minnesota, opening morning here was November 7th. And it was, it got to, it was in the 60s. Yeah. You know, I think it almost got, you know, it was super warm. So it was, it was kind of weird. I dressed in a light shirt, hiking boots, real thin pants. And, you know, I, you know, I just hiked real slow, never really got sweated up or anything and took my time to get to that stand. And, you know, I, I, I just remember thinking when I got to it, like, this is going to be perfect. It was real quiet still. I didn't bump any deer. And, you know, I'm thinking this is going to really be, you know, an awesome morning for me to sit there. And, you know, and I hadn't been there, you know, I can't remember what time it gets light, like maybe six thirty or quarter after six or something like that. And I had shot that one at seven fifteen. It was just, you know, I'm sitting in this ladder stand, you know, and it's on a food plot that I made up there, you know, for the last couple of years. And it actually came from the other side of the food plot. It was just, all of a sudden it was right there through some brush. And, you know, I just remember like, Oh, that's a giant right away. And it, it was kind of working its way to me and it stopped and it looked right at me. And, you know, I knew the wind was blowing right at me. He was, he was not smelling me at all. And I had moved and it was probably, you know, I would probably say maybe 40 yards away from me and it stopped. And it kind of lifted his head and looked right at me. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? He's going to get me like that. You know, I had moved. I had my gun sitting on my lap. And, and he kind of put his head down and yanked it back up. He did that two or three times. And, you know, I thought for sure, you know, it was like he's going to bust me. And he, he definitely the wind was blowing right at me. So he couldn't smell me. And literally he put his head back down and he crossed that food plot. And I slowly moved it. You know, I was kind of. And I quit looking at this horn, you know, I knew it was a giant and, you know, it come across that food plot that I made and made a perfect shot. It ran away from me and I actually watched it tip over maybe about, I'd say 80 yards from me. I could see its belly and the side of its horn sticking up. That was seven fifteen in the morning, opening day. And I was just thinking, you know, I was like, you know, all this time, you know, cause a little bit of, you know, I've, I've never shot a huge deer. I mean, I've shot a lot of respectable, maybe one thirties and eight pointers and a couple small tens. But, you know, I just, you know, I get a lot of heat around my buddies. This year, you're overdue. You're overdue. Cause I, you know, I, I'm known to put the time in. I'm one of the harder hunters. You know, I, you know, I very rarely miss a morning or night sit when I'm off on vacation. And that was open in the morning and I just couldn't believe it. You know, and I sat there in the tree and just kind of looked at him. It was probably 20 minutes and, you know, I knew he was down and, you know, I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to get down and go look at him. And that was a, that was a, a giant 11 pointer that scored right around 165 is what he ended up scoring. Man, 
That's a beautiful deer. I love the the character yeah. on what would be it looks like his left side where um, the main beam dips down and then kind of curves back yeah. up, and then he has that a little eleventh eleventh point there. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it carries mass all the way yeah. throughout, and yeah, it's it's definitely a giant deer, and that's one that I had going back and looking at pictures, I maybe had one or two pictures last year. Just, he wasn't spending a lot of time on my property. He was, he was cruising through. Um, he was all by himself. Nothing else was with him. And, you know, that's one that was just, like I said, he was cruising through working around. That wasn't one that was definitely spending time. And he wasn't one that I was definitely after on the radar. Cause he didn't, he hadn't been on my property a whole lot at all. Yeah. But you did have trail camera pictures of him at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. So you knew he was in the area. Definitely that. That yeah, that's okay. one. And you know, the a, a relative of mine has been hunting. You know, has, had spent a lot of the last two years chasing that deer. Um, he was definitely pretty bummed to, to hear that it was down <laughs> in my area. He came down and you know congratulated me and you know looked at it. I remember talking to him one night last year. I think he had sheds. A couple of them had sheds of them, and he had seen them just I think maybe during bow season and. You know, a couple of times just could never get a shot on him. He would, he was hunting them pretty hard, and you know, definitely a deer. You know, he had a lot, spent a lot of time. He was, he was a little bummed, but definitely happy for me that I ended up shooting it. But you know, yeah, it was pretty incredible. That's awesome, man. And then it was five days later or so. How many days later until you you yeah. shot that ten pointer? Yeah, so that would have been the the Saturday the seventh. Uh, the following Thursday is when I shot that ten pointer. Okay, all right. So, um, is this on the same property or the two different properties? Same property. Same yep, property. that's on the yep the forty four acres above my house. It's a small little property, and you know it's pretty incredible to have two deer. You know, before that, you know I've shot a few doe off of there with my bull, but nothing else that I've ever shot on that property. Gotcha. Um, based off the trail cameras on that 44 acres, uh, I mean, are there good deer in the area? Yeah. Yeah. There's good deer. I mean, those are two of the nicer ones. Um, you know, there's a lot of up and comers and I, there's a lot of old does. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a lot of it is there's some does that I should harvest, but I'm sure them does are, you know, getting bred and the genes start so good, but yeah, there's definitely, there's more deer back there, but you know, it's just when one leaves, another one seems to move in. Yeah, well, that's good when you have a property like that. I uh, I have a couple buddies who have uh, access to farms like that, um, and specifically one buddy who he shoots the dominant. He almost shoots the dominant buck out of there. He's a nobody, right? And he doesn't. He's not on Instagram or Facebook. He's just an old sure. high school friend, and um, he shoots the dominant buck out of this one farm every single year, and it just reloads every single yeah. year and it's like the next big dog uh do, sometimes it's uh sometimes it's uh you know a, a 140 class eight pointer that's just old and with no genetics yeah. and sometimes it's a 205 inch you know typical typical 10 right just like uh, yeah just crazy so um maybe you have maybe you have the spot in the area where the the, the big dogs just feel comfortable yeah, and it, it definitely lays that way. It's just it's so hard to get at them. You know, there's a, like I said, there's a huge, it's it's on an end point. I, you know, when I mean end point, it's the farthest part of the ridge and it stops. That's the end point right there. And, and you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's tough to hunt them because it's a straight up and down hill and it's, it's, it's hard to walk up it for sure. But definitely I'm learning. I mean, I've only hunted it three years now and I, I think I got a little bit of it figured out and, you know, maybe 
just when I think I have it figured out, maybe I don't, you know, but uh, definitely had my best year ever back there. I'm excited for next year to see what happens. Yeah. All right. So your season's not over yet by this point, right? I mean, this next picture is a picture that causes hunters to black out at some points. And, and <laughs> I think I think the term buck fever is when bucks like this show up. You know, if you look up yeah. buck, buck fever in uh, an encyclopedia, this buck is going to be, at, you know, the, if you see a buck, you're going to get buck, this buck, you're going to get buck fever. Right. So, um, yeah. so let's talk about this buck. Now, what property first? So, so we have a, a reference point here. What property was this muzzleloader buck on? This is the one that's just a few minutes from my house down the road. Uh, the one that I've been hunting my whole life as a kid, you know, it's the okay. private property. I don't own it, but it's private property. My grandpa started hunting it, my dad, my uncle. And you know, there's, there's a few other people that hunt it, but it's, it's private property that I grew up hunting my whole life. And yeah. Nothing like that was ever shot out of there. I mean, it wasn't definitely known for big deer at all. You know, actually it's known for smaller, skinnier, you know, thinner frame deer, no bra tines. And, you know, it's definitely changing now. You know, it's a, it's, we're managing a little bit different. There's a few of us that hunt it, you know, and that's where this one came from. And kind of crazy, uh, you know, how lucky the year ended out. You know, so I had shot two, and, you know, I was pretty, you know, thrilled. I mean, that doesn't happen too often, two really nice deer. And, you know, at that point, you know, it's the end of the gun season. And, you know, I, you know, I thought about doing some bow hunting to harvest the doe just to fill the freezer. And, kind of a fun thing we do every year uh well we started i think last year uh, buddies run kind of a big doe contest um you know just uh you know something that we all throw in 10 bucks and i was kind of on the fence you know buying a muzzleloader i've been muzzleloader hunting for five six years i won a muzzleloader out of a minnesota deer hunters banquet you know five years ago and you know i was thinking about buying one anyway so i started muzzleloader hunting and we actually get together and push deer during the muzzleloader it's pretty fun because they kind of get grouped up and they're on food and you know, it's colder out, there's snow on the ground type of thing. And, you know, I was kind of on our, in Minnesota, I think our muzzleloader season starts, I think you can hunt three weekends there, you know, and it was uh, December 6th. It was a Sunday. So it was the second day of a muzzleloader season. And I had bought a tag just, you know, I was 50, 50, whether I was going to spend a lot of time going. And, you know, I had a picture last year of this deer, a lot of them actually. Um, and, you know, I, I was hunting this deer last year really hard. I had so many pictures in velvet and, you know, early season and he just disappeared, like just gone. And, you know, when the gun season came around the bow season, he was nowhere to be found. And, you know, I, and, and you would have heard of a deer like this getting shot. So I was yeah. confident that he was still around, but just, I hadn't patterned him. I didn't know, you know, I kind of thought I would get him during the bow season because the last year, how many pictures I had in a certain spot and, you know, I hunted a decent amount during the bow season and never seen him. And he wasn't on any of the trail cameras anymore. And, you know, I had this really good stand that I was trying to kill this deer last year out of. And I, I can't, I think I burned it out. I, I yeah. spent a lot of time there. It's a long walk, but it's a great stand. I, I'd sit all day in it. And there's days I didn't see a deer at all, you know, from morning to all the way to dark. I did that a couple of times. And, you know, I think I'm, you know, and I was back there a lot in this spot and, this year I hadn't, I sat in there one other time, um, during the gun season, kind of the middle of the week. And actually I'd let a, a really nice deer go by in it. You know, I passed one up just, I had shot two really nice ones and it wasn't anything that was a giant or anything. And I kind of thought, 
you know, that's how you shoot big deer. You got to let these ones go. And I, I definitely did. I kind of regretted it as he walked away. It was a, it was a nice, nice deer. Um, so, you know, and that was the only time I sat in it all season. So I got to back up a little bit because obviously this deer is a giant, right? He's got uh, a kicker off. He's got, I mean, one side looks like it's a typical one, two, three, four, like almost a typical five point side. And then the, the, your, or I'm looking at the deer and it's left side, which would be its right side is just like mm-hmm. uh, uh, drops and flyers and, and just junk yeah. all, all over the place. Did he have that same character last year as well? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, it's the way that deer lays out, it's got 18 points on that side and it had a double beam an inner beam and an outer beam in velvet. It looked just unbelievable. And yeah. then that typical side has got seven points and you know, it's got a triple bra tie and, eye guards and it's got a little flyer coming off that one side and actually uh last year um you know as i was pulling the cameras that was one of the first big deer i'm you know i'm like oh yeah you know and it in velvet it, it had a double beam on both sides that that typical side was a double beam too and he lost that this year which but he grew way more mass on that yeah. side and he didn't have the drop tie he had broken them off in velvet but yeah, he was an absolute giant last year. And, you know, the pictures in velvet are unbelievable. Yeah. I'll send you a couple just to, to have you look at it. But yeah, it was one of those special deer, you know, that just, you know, it's one that he got your attention. You're gonna, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So was he actually, do you think he would have scored more last year compared to this year? No, no, no. He okay. would have, his tines were not near as big and that, uh, big drop time i forget how many inches that drop time was busted off that flyer wasn't as big he he blew up this year he's a lot bigger this year gotcha okay and it looks like from the way you're talking about it it looks like from a mass standpoint is where he really uh gained a lot yeah yeah absolutely that typical side he lost you know i kind of wonder what he would have been if he would have had that double beam again on that side but that side just grew so much and there's there's measurements on that typical side on the beam there mass measure that are over six inches and you know if that was a standard typical that's i think that side scored like 85 points just the typical side not the side with all the junk on it but yeah, yeah it was it was crazy that's awesome all right so you knew you knew or last year you had pictures of him all through the summer the season started and he disappeared yeah just up and gone you up know and, and I, gone. I couldn't believe it Okay. All right. So he, he disappears. What, um, you know, going into that, did you go look for his sheds once the season was over? Um, when did he show back up or when did you know he was alive for the 2020 season? Yeah, we hunted shed hunted that, you know, couldn't find his sheds and, you know, I kind of, I'm going to go back and definitely recheck some areas after killing him. I think I kind of know where he's spending his time now. But yeah, he even the early season, I put the camera in the same exact spot where I literally had thousands of pictures last year, and literally, you know, during the early season in August, September, not a single picture of him whatsoever. Um, and that's probably why I didn't spend as much time over there. Just I didn't have any pictures until November twentieth, um, and it was kind of odd. I got the cell phone camera, um, and there was a picture that showed up on it on the November 20th. So that's the, the shotgun season's already over with. And it's in between like the muzzleloader season. And it's a real kind of, it was a foggy morning. So it's a, not a great picture. And it's blurry. And just looking at him, you know, I'm like, I think that's him, you know, it wasn't a real definite, but it, 
you know, it's a weird picture to look at, but it shows the typical side and it's kind of a little blurry and foggy and you can just see a lot of stuff. And I'm thinking he's around. And that was yeah. the first one where I'm like, I think he's around. It's, uh, I wasn't a hundred percent certain it was a deer because the picture isn't that great, but I, I kind of had a feeling that it was him. And, you know, that's kind of what like, I got to, you know, get a muzzleloader license at least spend more time in this stand that I was trying to kill him out of last year, man. So he, he disappears for an entire year, uh, like over yeah. a year, right? Man, I hope I shared some pictures, uh, on Instagram of a buck that I called gnarly Charlie. Um, he, it's been, who it's been over a year now since I have any pictures of that buck and he's, he's giant. Um, and I think deer in my area, I haven't really experienced any deer that kind of just disappear like that. They, they're gone and then they're gone forever. And typically they die, whether it's EHD or hunting or poaching or, or whatever. But it's one of those mm-hmm. deer, like you said, like, uh, if someone shot him, you would know about it, right? There's going right. to be picture circulating. There's going to be a magazine cover potentially or, or whatever, or, you know, it's going to make its rounds. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that whatever happened, whatever vibe or good mojo you had with this buck kind of, kind of <laughs> comes my way now too. So, um, you bet. So 20, uh, November 20th this year, he shows up out of the blue on a cell cam. Um, how many days until the muzzleloader season opened at that point? I believe that's it, the muzzleloader season would have opened up, uh, maybe two weeks after that. Okay. Um, because I think it was opening weekend when December 6th was a Sunday. So it opened up, I think December 5th, I think was the first day of muzzleloader season. Okay. So how many days did he show up on trail camera before you went in? I mean, did you go after him with a bow at all? No, 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 just that one picture. That was it. That was it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I forget what I had going on. There was something that after, you know, I had spent a couple of times uh, behind my house because there's a couple of huge doe back there, you know, and, but I hadn't bow hunted him at all over in that area at all. So you were kind of putting all your eggs in one basket with the muzzleloader season. Yep. Okay. Yep, exactly. All right. So, and, and I wasn't too confident I would see him. I mean, like you said, it was just one pitcher in the 20th and, you know, it was a real grainy pitcher. And I'm thinking, well, in the back of my head, I kind of figured, you know, I'd have a chance at seeing them, but I said, I wasn't hundred percent certain it was that deer either. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh man. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I would have handled something like that. I probably would have went after him immediately with a bow if I, <laughs> if I had the opportunity to do that. But if he, if it was just one or, you know, one set of pictures, um, so the muzzle loader season when, and that starts sometime in December, right? Yeah, I, I think it actually starts cause it, it opens this it, in Minnesota. It's really weird how our seasons go. Um, just a little recap. It used to be, you know, how fortunate I am. It used to be, we had a buck season and we had a doe season. Um, buck season was like the opening weekend, the, the, but now with all the new CWD and all those stuff, you know, now we can actually hunt both seasons with a shotgun. And I would spend the time driving deer with buddies on other properties and doing that. That's kind of what we were doing at the time. And then the muzzle leader, muzzle loader seasons is it actually opens up the last weekend of the second shotgun season. And then it goes for, I think three weekends is how it goes there. So this might've been the second week in a muzzle loader, I believe is how that broke down. Okay. There's a first season that goes two weekends. 
Then there's a break, and then the second season kind of starts the week of Thanksgiving. You know, that and then it runs two weekends there. So there's a lot of pressure on the deer at this time, you know, way more than there used to be in Minnesota. You know, the other thing that really is different, years ago, I think maybe three years ago, in Minnesota, if I shot a buck with my bow, that was it. It was a one buck, and that's it. You couldn't shoot any more bucks with your muzzleloader or your, your shotgun or anything. Gotcha. So is it similar to Iowa where you can you can have like a – uh, like how did, how, from a tag perspective, how did you get three bucks this year? Yeah. So they changed it similar to Iowa now where you can shoot a buck with your bow. You can shoot a buck with your shotgun. You can shoot a buck with your muzzle loader, and then you can also party hunt. Um, so you can cross tag and, you know, at, uh, at gotcha. the time, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, it used to be, we had an antler point restriction and where I hunt, not the whole state, but just the Southeast where it had to be four points on a side or you couldn't shoot it either. You know, they were, you know, kind of managing yeah. big deer. And then years ago, the CWD started taking over and now it's the complete opposite. You know, they're trying to shoot as many kills, many, it seems like the season never ends now. You know, they have some late season hunts where you know, you know, you could go and buy unlimited tags and shoot as many deer if you wanted to, you know, so it's totally different hunting. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So when did you make your first move in on, on this buck? Yeah, this would have been, uh, Sunday, December 6th. Um, you know, I had, you know, muzzleloader hunted. It was, I think we had got together maybe a Saturday and, you know, this was, I was actually, I'm a big biking fan, which, you know, kind of, kind of rough <laughs> year for us biking fans here. And, you know, I had bought the tag and I hadn't spent, you know, I kind of figured it winding down the season a little bit, you know, and I kind of think in the back of my mind, I knew this deer was around, but it just, you know, I had no patterns of them. It was tough. You know, I'm sitting there watching the Viking game and I made a commitment. I'm going to go hunting at halftime. I just got to go, got to go. Cause I, this stand is, it's my favorite stand that I have. Um, you know, I absolutely love it. I, I hung it three years ago in this spot. Um, pretty amazing spot. And I, you know, I've shot some deer out of it, but you know, I'm really selective. I haven't seen a giant deer out of it, but you know, it, it's a big buck spot. It just lays out so nice. And you know, what the stand is, is, uh, it's, you ever hear of a millennium 360 stand? Do you, do you know what that is? Well, I've heard of the, uh, the company millennium pretty like really yeah. big, comfortable stands. Yeah. So this stand, um, you know, I found a triple tree. There's three big trees that kind of grow up real close to each other in there. And there used to be an old permanent stand in this years, probably 20 years ago. And this millennium 360 is like a little circle stand, you know, it's just a circle platform and I got a ladder that goes up to it and it's got a chair in the middle and you can swivel 360 around and the deer come from every direction in there. And you know, after, you know, thinking about it, looking back on it, if I wasn't sitting in that stand, I'm, I'm pretty confident I probably went to shot this deer, but I had sat in it a lot previous seasons. And I, frankly, I think I just burned it out because I sat in it so much because it's such a nice spot and a good stand. And this season I'd only sat in it one other time through bow, through the shotgun and I hadn't sat in all during muzzleloader. And it's a hike to get there. You know, I, I kind of park at a, you know, a, a cornfield, a dead end thing. And I walk probably 45 minutes on a ridge road all the way back to another end point. That's where it is. And, you know, so it takes, it takes some time to get there, but yeah, that's, that's where I made up my mind. I was sitting in that stand and I was watching the wind all weekend and the wind, uh, it was like a Northwest wind, which sets up perfect for that stand. So, you know, the wind's blowing right at me when I'm watching there. All right. Um, and so, I, I had made, I, I knew based on the wind, I was going to go to that stand for sure that day. Okay. So 
what about this terrain? I mean, why was that tree stand in that that particular tree? You know, and and how did this buck use the um, use the terrain? Uh, I mean, e- explain why for us. Yeah, definitely. It sets up so it, it's almost like a bowl. Um, where this stand is, it, is, if you walk the ridge road all the way to the end, it's another one of those huge rock points that drops right off, real nasty cover. And it's like three kind of hills come together right there. And I'm on the inner side of one side of it that forms a bowl. And behind me, it's real thick, nasty, that hard edge I was telling you about. It's, I mean, we had walked through it years ago doing a deer drive, and I remember popping over the top and thinking, I can't see two feet. I mean, there's no way I'm going to be able to shoot a deer. And really green yet. You know, it's, I, I forget what kind of bush that is in there, the shrubs. And, but that's, there's a, and there's a little saddle back there, too, and that saddle's a natural kind of funnel where they can cross right there. But there's just there's three big things. It's an end point. There's a bowl in there. Three hills come together, and there's thick, nasty cover in there. And, and as you sit there, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with a bull there because it's a longer shot. You know, it's it's not easy to get a close shot. I mean, most everything's 50, 60 yards longer there, but you can see a little bit to that cover. It's a, it's away from the hard cover, but if they come on that hard edge and that real thick green stuff, I can shoot them with a gun there. It's about a, you know, a 60 to 70 yard shot, but I can't shoot them with a the bull there. Okay. So it's just like the perfect position for for a tree stand. Um, yeah. When when you saw this buck approaching, what was he doing? How was he using the wind? How was he using the terrain? Yeah, so it was really interesting how it all played out. I had got there, you know, just walking out there just to, to back up a little bit. You know, I'm kind of walking this ridge road real slow. And, you know, I'd no more than get into the woods and I'd seen a doe kind of go down the hill. That's, you know, just getting in there and, I've got probably three or four tree stands, nice ladder stands set up on this ridge road. And I had got to the second one. I had been hunting those in the season. We've been shooting quality deer out of them and seeing deer. My brother shot a pretty nice 10 out of one of them. And I had let a couple nice deer go by. And, you know, I got about halfway back to where this stand was. And there was a doe kind of maybe at right below my second ladder stand, kind of staring right there. And, you know, I kind of, I, kind of was going out there to shoot a doe for this big doe contest you know we we're all hyped up about it it was like one of the last days to do this and you know and i kind of and it wasn't a huge doe so i kind of let her go a little bit and there's two or three doe that followed her and i sat there and it took me a long time to get back there i was kind of getting i almost thought about not doing it just because i was kicking up deer and sitting in that second one and i glassed them doe and i'd seen a pretty nice buck with them but it wasn't this deer and you know, so it took me a lot, probably 20, 30 more minutes longer than it usually does to get to that stand. And, you know, I just made a commitment to get to that stand because I knew it was such a good spot. But it almost, I almost got sidetracked going to it. And I finally get out to that stand, and, you know, it must be about 2.30, 3 o'clock. Um, and it gets dark out about a little bit after 5 at this time. And, you know, I got in the stand, kind of got comfortable. Everything's all set up. And, you know, the the reason I like it is there's three trees, so they can come from anywhere. And you can actually lean your gun up against the side of a tree. There's cover around you, so they can't really pick you. It's not like in the middle, you know, they can pick you off. you got trees that surround you. And I'm facing up the ridge, and it wasn't about, I want to say, about four. So I had a doe come right from in front of me and come right at me. And, you know, I'd almost thought about shooting her, and if it was a big doe, I probably would have, um, you know, but it wasn't that big of a doe. And she had sat in front of me 
all night, um, literally 20 yards from me, just feeding and browsing in front of me, eating greens and eating shrubs and bushes. And, you know, and it was about, oh, I don't know, maybe about a little, I'd say 4.30, I heard the coyotes go crazy behind me, you know, kind of where this saddle is. And, you know, it wasn't too long after that I had heard, you know, footsteps and crunching. And my first thought was, is, oh, here comes a coyote. I'm going to shoot that coyote. And I was kind of curious of what this doe was going to do in front of me, you know, with the coyotes. And the coyotes felt like they were right behind me. And, you know, her ears perked up and she was watching back there. And, you know, I kind of, you know, was trying to keep one eye on her and one eye kind of behind me. And that's where this stand played out. So if I was in a ladder stand, I would have to stand up and turn around to look behind me. So he literally came from, you know, if I'm watching that doe at, say, 1 o'clock, it was probably about, five o'clock on a clock behind me, which, you know, he, what I think he was doing was on the inside of this ridge smelling that the wind coming over top and he was just working that wind and he was eventually going to go to that big point and probably go down on the other side of the ridge. There's cornfields that I can't hunt down there. That's a neighbor's property. I think that's what he was actually doing, but he was working the wind on the inside and the wind was perfect for that because it was blowing right in my face and he was going to be coming from my right side. And, you know, I said, I kind of, turned a little bit swiveled in a chair and I was kind of watching that doe you know so she didn't bust me and try to see what this was and you know by the time I picked him up it was probably about 80 yards kind of to the right of me behind me and all I could see was literally his last maybe foot of his body and his tail you know I didn't know what it was right away I knew it was a deer and he had got to a scrape there's a scrape down there he literally spent 10-15 minutes on this scrape behind some trees really working a scrape hard and you know and then, then I knew it was a buck at that point for sure you know so I kind of got my binocs up and I'm watching him and literally I can just see his tail flicker every once in a while and I could see him you know the branches moving but I couldn't see his you know front half of his body at all and you know I felt like forever but you know I was guessing it was probably 10 minutes and I finally seen him kind of walk a little bit and I could see the typical side the you know the 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 five point you know side there and it was a long ways away at the time, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, ah, that's a nice one. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, that's a nice one. And I, I didn't think it was a giant. And I kind of, it took me a second. I'm like, that mass on that beam was way bigger than that 165 I shot. Yeah. I'm like, that's a giant. You know, it's a giant. And, you know, at that point in time, I kind of quit looking at his yeah. horns. And I, you know, I, it took me a while to grab my muzzle loader. And, you know, when I, it, grabbed my muzzle loader, I kind of swung behind me and that doe was there the whole time. And like I said, it was so fortunate to be able to move in this stand to kind of swivel slowly where she couldn't pick me up. I didn't have to stand. I didn't have to turn around. And so at that point in time, I'm kind of focused on this deer picking them up in the scope, my muzzle loader. And it's kind of weird how it all played out. So the one I let go during the shotgun season came from this same area and he come right below me below the stand maybe 40 yards as a scrape line right there and i'm thinking this is going to be perfect this big buck is going to do the same thing i'm going to have a perfect broadside shot and it'll be game over well this buck did the exact opposite instead of coming towards my stand it started working its way away from me going up the ridge away kind of courting hard and you know and i'm thinking oh no and i was gonna grunt at it you know it was moving away from me and at this time now it's starting to get dark and you know, I've only got maybe 10 minutes of light left to work with. And I thought I can't really grunt that doe was like right there. You know, she's watched. I don't know if that big buck even knew she was there because he didn't pay any attention. And she would just look at him and, you know, shake her ears a little bit, continue to browse. And she wasn't worried about him at all. 
And so I'm thinking, well, I can't grunt at him or anything that doe. I don't want to blow that doe out of here. And, you know, I'm kind of picking him up in the scope of my muzzleloader as he's walking away. And it gets to the point where he's right at the crest of the hill. And at this time, he's probably, I, go, I guess, somewhere around 110 yards away, you know, coring hard away from me. And I finally picked him up the, you know, I'm using not a really good high power scope. You know, it's just, it's a great scope for driving deer because it's a low power and you can pick them up real fast if they're moving, but it's not really a high power scope. And, you know, I picked up the the body of it, kind of his front leg, and I went back and, you know, I ended up shooting him just as he was going to crest that hill. So I shot and of course smoke goes flying everywhere and I kind of listened and he took one jump and it was gone over the, the ridge and, you know, I'm listening and I thought I heard him crash, but you know, you just don't know. And at this point I knew it was a giant, you know, typical side maybe you know a 10 point or something i did not see the the side with the 18 points at all so i didn't know it was this deer when i shot him so yeah so you didn't know did it cross your mind in that whole encounter that it could be that buck from last year no No. i didn't think it was him at all i I really didn't i know it was a big there's other big deer in there yeah you know and i but you know that the telltale sign is the other side you know that side with all the junk on it the inner beam and the drop tine you know i had just seen five points on the left side and just huge mass so you know i knew it was a big one but definitely did not think it was that deer at all gotcha so you get down out of the tree stand and all that all you know all the things that happen in this this certain uh time frame you as you start to walk up on this deer like when did you realize like every step must have just been like oh my god it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger yeah i definitely know he was he crossed the ridge and you know i wasn't sure 100 percent if he was dead or if i even hit him or what the you know so i stood in the stand you know and i i marked a tree where he crossed this ridge top and i just stared at it for you know until it got dark and i couldn't see just to mark that spot because you know you get out of a tree and it looks totally different on the ground or where they cross I'm right watching that spot and I'm, I'm starting to vibrate a little bit just thinking yeah this is a nice one for sure and you know i gave it till it was dark you know you know i didn't want to bump any deer and you know i, you know, I kind of thought when i i had my gun against the the back tree it was on and it was a, i felt like it was a good shot i was had a good rest on it so I kind of waited as much as I could and I started walking right to where I marked where he crossed and, you know, it's dark at this time and, you know, I'm kind of searching for blood and I don't see anything. I mean, there's not a drop where I, where I marked that spot where he crossed and, you know, I'm like, well, there's a little ridge road there that kind of runs perpendicular where he crossed. I'm like, I'm going to walk that road and just see, and I kind of combed it a little bit and I found like two small drops of blood and, at that point, um, you know, I had a good buddy. His name is Lauren Beach. You know, he had been uh, hunting across the valley, and he had heard me shoot. You know, and he was asking me, you know, you know, and then, you know, we're on a, a group thing with, you know, you know, they're wondering about does and whatnot. And so I just put my hat down and I called him and I said, hey, you know, I think I shot a good one. And he's just like, are you kidding me? You know, you know, he's with me the whole time. He was the guy that was with me when I shot that second one I was party hunting with. You know, and he's just jacked. You know, and. I told him, I said, I found two drops of blood. I'm going to back out and I'll come pick you guys up and we'll see if we can find them. You know, so that's where I left it at there. So I got to walk, you know, 45 minutes back to where I park and then come down a road with my four wheeler to come pick those guys up. I actually had two buddies. The other one's Grant Zinke. So, you know, both of us, all three of us load up on my four wheeler to go find this deer, you know, so that's kind of, you know, I backed out thinking, well, I'm going to give them some time. 
the last thing I want is to bump them up and have them go down this crazy big point and, you know, cliff. And, you know, so, so that's kind of how that happened. Yeah. So how much longer, so you went to the spot where you shot him, just found a couple um, pieces or a couple drops of blood. You back out. Yeah. How many of, how many of you went back looking for him later that night? Uh, there was three of us, um, uh, me, Lauren and Grant, you know, I picked them up and, you know, we got to, we drove all the way out. There. I don't ever drive out there. Cause I just, you're violating it. You know, so we took my four wheeler just thinking, well, this is a giant, we got, you know, so we drive as far back as we can out there and we get off and, you know, I showed them right where my hat was and we find those two drops of blood and there's a pretty, it's a thick, nasty area there. It drops down real steep, but there's a one deer trail in there that's used quite a bit. And, you know, we found a drop here, a drop here, a drop here. And literally from where my hat was, where I first found blood, about 30 yards is all that deer went. And they're in front of me. Literally, I'm the last guy, kind of flashlights. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking, yelling at them, hey, don't be walking on the blood, get to the side. But it, the trail was so defined and there was a drop here. And all of a sudden I could hear Grant say, oh, there's where he was crashing right here. And then literally they seen him before I did and they just erupted. And, you know, I remember Lauren thinking, you know what you just did? And just screaming <laughs> and hugging me. And, I mean, it was just wild. And at this time, I don't even see the deer yet. I'm like, yeah. what is it? What is it? And literally when I peeked around him, you know, the non-typical side, the big drop time, I knew right away what deer it was. I'm yeah. like, Oh, are you kidding me? This, this is a deer that, you know, the biggest one that's in the whole area, you know, and then we walked up to it and just, I mean, we just hooted and hollered and just looked at it and celebrated, like just unbelievable. And, you know, I, I think Lauren had a feeling more than I did that he think he knew I shot that deer. He just, he's like, is it the one? And he was grilling me. And, and I remember telling him, honestly, I don't know what, it, you know, it's a good one, but I don't know what, it, I think he had that feeling that I shot it before I did, you know, it was yeah. just, funny how that all played out and you know we sat there and just celebrated and you know and one of them had took a picture of it I think Grant took a picture of it and sent it to our all of our hunting buddies and literally I mean I didn't even have the gear deer gutted out and my phone was ringing and just crazy <laughs> it just started going nuts like instantly like that oh, yeah so that's the recovery is probably the thing I'll remember the rest of my life just two of my best friends and walking up on that deer and not even be able to see it and see them guys celebrate and just yeah, it was just one of those incredible feelings. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. So uh, for reference here, so everybody can get a good idea who's listening, and um, obviously the picture will be on the uh, Sportsman's Nation website under the Nine Finger Chronicles, and I'll post it on social. But what did uh, that bad boy score? Yeah, right now it's it's in the drying period, so the Boone and Crockett, nothing's official. So I, uh, it's the official Buckmaster. Now, I don't know if you know the Buckmasters, the Boone and Crockett. So right now um, the Buckmaster score will be 224 and 4 That's as it's going to go in their book. And then it'll be February, the second week of February will be the 60-day thing, and then it'll get uh, scored officially for Boone and Crockett. But definitely – 220 plus but uh, that's where it's at right now 224 and 48 and does he have anything broken off of him it, that, it looks like one of the tips of the main beams on the typical side is busted or is that just how it grew no that's kind of how it's grew it's got a little funky end but he did have another flyer coming off that typical side that could have been something that was busted off who knows when it wasn't anything recent yeah um but yeah it's 
he's got most everything intact. The neatest thing is that big drop time. He's got yeah. two points on the end of it with just velvet still on it and that flyer. Just incredible stuff. That's you know, I told the you know, and when you know, I sent pictures to people, I said, This is the deer we dream about, you know. You know, drop tines and triple brow tines and eye guards and flyers and just it's incredible deer. Um, Man. you know, something you know, like you know, it was kinda of comical, you know, as I when I shot that one that was close to one seventy, you know, we were sitting there out in my shed and we got kind of a you know, a deer hunting kind of shed that we all clean our deer in and hang out in and kind of looking at that one it's like how do they get any bigger this thing's huge you know it's huge mass i'm like and then you know a week later you know this 224 and it's it just makes the other ones look small it's just crazy yeah, yeah crazy. man that's gnarly man um it sounds to me like you're gonna have a bit of a taxidermy bill this year yeah i do i do <laughs> around with me i need to start a GoFundMe for my taxidermy <laughs> well <laughs> you're not going to get any sympathy from me my friend <laughs> no i know i like you know my hunting group's going to start raising money on this i just laugh you know that they're just great people and we have so much fun hunting i mean it's we have fun no matter what deer are shot and you know to be fortunate to shoot something like this and it's just been incredible see that stuff we dream about and yeah my taxidermy guy when i shot the second one you know, I told him, you'll never believe this, you know, and, you know, he was so, in the first one, you know, and then I, I finally called him on this third one, and he's just like, you're kidding me, too, you know, and just, I, you know, I, I take a lot of heat. I'm kind of a local celebrity around here, like, the last couple of weeks, I just, uh, local newspaper, had a write-up on it, and, you know, being in the car business, I deal with so many other people, you know, just the people call and text and just, you know, all the congratulations, it's been incredible, just, you know, I, you don't want it to end, but eventually it will, but, yeah, it's, it's just one of them, something I'll always remember for sure. Yeah, not only the fact that you shot two giants, you also, you know, or well, I mean, three really uh, compared to everybody else, but you also, I mean, three in one year and the just the size of all of them as well is just, it's amazing. Yeah, incredible. Like I said, you know, the, I didn't, you know, looking at that 165, 170, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to shoot anything bigger. I mean, that's a big deer around here. Yeah. There's big deer that are shot. You know, I'm sure next year there'll be big deer that are shot. But, you know, that's dream about a 200-incher. I didn't think in my wildest dreams I'd ever see one, let alone shoot one and yeah. be able to get this deer. Yeah, it's 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 a dream. Well, man, congratulations on one hell of a season. Uh, good luck this upcoming season as well. And thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on, man. Yeah, you bet. It was fun. Uh, good luck. Go get that gnarly Charlie next year. I, it might happen. Just work out. Like I said, don't give up and uh, stay after him. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Man, I really appreciate you guys. I really, really do. Uh, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hop on and give this show a listen, whether it's, uh, you know, you listen to everyone, whether you listen to just, you know, one a month, whatever. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to this content that I'm putting out. Uh, huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, uh, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf, Wasp, and Ozonics, man. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because, in, you know, it just kind of goes full circle at that point. And uh, please go out, check out, uh, just off the top of my head real quick, a company, an organization, 2% for Conservation. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for Conservation certified company. Uh, please go out and uh, uh, give that organization a, a look-see and read into what they do and how you can uh, be certified yourself. Other than that, man, I'm sending good vibes out to you. 
and your family. Uh, hope, hopefully you get them. Uh, peace, love, joy, all that hippie stuff. But man, I really do mean it. Uh, take care of your neighbor and uh, we'll talk to you next time.